So, uh, welcome to the class. Uh, today's class is going to examine typical arguments in favor of abortion or legal abortion. I want to emphasize that um, for almost all of this class, I am not going to give religious arguments. There is a very heavy statement actually in the Bhagavatam about abortion, which I'll give at the end. Uh, but I'm not going to argue on the basis of uh, revealed scriptures or the statements of religious authorities. I'm going to examine the common arguments for abortion in a philosophical sense. And I'm going to ask the question, are these arguments philosophically sound? Just from the point of view of logic and philosophy, I, uh, I don't think they are, but uh, you can judge for yourself. So, um, a very typical argument for abortion is that perhaps the, the, the most common argument is that a woman or presumably any human being, whatever their gender, and there are of course many genders as we know, that any human being uh, has a right to control their own body. So let's look at that idea that a person has a right to control their body. First of all, uh, the first question I want to ask again philosophically is who is the person? Who is the person that we're talking about? Um, if we are going to be consistent here, if we are claiming that a person has a right, let's say, to control their own body and therefore a right to an abortion, then logically we cannot be talking about a physical being. The body can't be the person for the simple reason that the body is physical, but a right, to have a right to something is, is metaphysical. We can point to a physical body, we can point to a chair or a mountain or a glass of water, and we can say this is a physical object. And if you believe, as I think we all do, that there is a real material world outside of our minds, that we are not just imagining the world, then these are all physical facts. Your body is a physical fact. However, your right to control your body is not a physical fact. There's no physical thing you can point to and say, this is a right. Uh, so if you do have rights, it's very simple. If you actually have rights, any rights at all, if you have any rights at all, then you cannot be your body because a physical object doesn't have rights because rights are a metaphysical object. So another example, which I've often given equality, if you believe in equality, then that is incompatible with the idea that we are the body. Because again, bodies are physical objects. They don't have rights, which are 
metaphysical objects. If you are a soul, that is a metaphysical object that can have other metaphysical attributes such as having a right. So in fact, all the, as I've said many times, all the empirical evidence in the world shows that we are not equal and yet we reject all of the empirical evidence in establishing a political system, a uh, cultural, legal, uh, judicial system, moral principles. We reject all of the empirical evidence and we say there is a metaphysical fact which stands above all the physical facts. Physical facts, we're all different. We're not equal. We're not equal in terms of our athletic ability, our artistic ability, our uh, mathematical ability. We're just not equal. And yet we are equal because we are metaphysical beings. And as metaphysical beings, not physical beings, we're equal. Okay, so having established that, if someone says that a soul inside of a woman's body or a man's body has a right to control their own body, uh, is that an absolute right or is it a relative right? For example, do you have the right to control your body in such a way that it kills another body? I mean, I would hope you would say, I hope you would say no. In fact, we could even say that, or for, that every law, whether it's a law against rape or murder, or if it's a stop sign in a road, those are all laws. You know, you cannot rape or kill another person and you have to stop at a stop sign. And yet all of those laws, in fact, every law in existence restricts, limits, conditions your right to control your own body. Because the stop sign says your body must stop. You must stop your body. You could say, well, it's my body and I don't want to stop my body from moving forward in space. Let's say you're a pedestrian, you're walking and you do not. And so someone is forcing your body to stop. And you could say, well, it's my body, tough luck. Because in fact, just as individuals have rights, societies have rights. And so therefore, if society perceives that you in exercising your right to control your body are infringing upon, violating the rights of society, then we all accept that society has a legitimate right to restrict, control your right to move your own body. And so therefore saying that a woman or a man uh, has a right to control their own body, and if you just say that, it's not a serious argument because it's not considering are there other factors which would justify society restricting your right to use your body in a particular way. So just saying I have a right to do whatever I want with my body, bad philosophy, if you just leave it there. So let's look at some of the arguments, further arguments given to justify 
a person's right, a man or a woman, because a man can initiate an abortion. Sometimes men, uh, by threats, by a psychological pressure, by bribery, uh, induced or force or pressure a woman to have an abortion. So uh, it's, it's, this is not a philosophical attack on women. Let's just say, uh, does anyone have a right to cause an abortion to be performed? Clearly, the abortion is going to be it's a medical procedure performed on a woman, but does anyone have a right? For example, in China, they had a law up until very recently for decades that because they were concerned about overpopulation that you could only have so many children. So if, if a woman got pregnant and she already had the limit of children, the state could require her to get an abortion. So a government can force an abortion. A woman can choose to abort her own baby. A man can uh, either by criminal force or by psychological pressure or bribery, whatever. So, so let's not just blame the women here. Let's just say, does anyone have a right to cause an abortion to be performed on a woman? And let's say that to be more precise, we are not talking about a case where the mother's physical or mental health is clearly at risk. We're gonna put that aside, that's a special case. And that is also a, an extremely tiny minority of abortion cases. So let's say that's a special case that deserves its own analysis. Let's talk about the overwhelming majority of abortions in which the abortion is not a medical threat to a woman's uh, physical or mental health. She may not like it, she may be upset about it, we're talking about a serious medical threat, serious mental, emotional damage, permanent damage. So let's put that aside. Now, if we look at the general argument given that the embryo is growing in the woman's body, and so the woman, or, or not women, people argue, well, it's part of the woman's body. Uh, now, there's a problem with that. Um, actually, for one thing, uh, it goes against um, certain uh, federal laws. For example, uh, I'm quoting here from a website, which is a neutral website giving data. Uh, it's called Pro and Con Arguments. Uh, Procon.org. Pro the killing of an innocent human being is wrong, even if that human being has yet to be born. Unborn babies are considered human beings by the U.S. government. The federal, quote, Unborn Victims of Violence Act, which was enacted, quote, to protect unborn children from assault and murder, unquote, states that under federal law, Anybody intentionally killing or attempting to kill an unborn child shall be punished, quote, shall be punished for intentionally killing or attempting to kill a human being. The act also states that an unborn child is, quote, a member of the species Homo sapiens, unquote, and at least 38 states in America have similar fetal homicide laws. That's just law. That's not philosophy. but it is law. 
federal law in the United States and in 38 states at least. But, but let's go back to philosophy here. Um, the, the general argument given in favor of abortion is that uh, because the fetus de physically depends on the mother's within the mother's body, therefore the mother has a right to kill that fetus. So I want to extract from that argument the general philosophical claims. In other words, uh, if I say, for example, under certain circumstances, John has a right to kill Bill, then we can state that more generally and say, under these circumstances, a person has a right to kill another person. So let's talk about that. What is this argument actually saying? It's saying that if a person, let's call that person A, if that person A is physically dependent on another person B, uh, and the exact nature of the physical dependence, we'll get to, but in, the, in more general terms, if A is physically dependent on B, B has a right to kill A. That's the argument. Now, we could say, well, that's only if A is inside the body of B. That's a detail which I will get to. But for now, let's look at the most general form. Now, if you look at history, we find that in many societies in the past, not in India, but in many societies, uh, it was accepted that this logic is, is valid, that if A depends on B, B has a right to kill A. So that, for example, you see in the Song of the Volsungs, which is sort of like the Scandinavian Iliad and Odyssey, um, that parents had the right to kill children, even up into adolescence. I mean, you could have a 16-year-old son or daughter. You had a right to kill that person. Why? Because they depend on you. In that social structure, they couldn't depend on you. What about another case? What about a case where a child's actually born, is still a baby, and is absolutely dependent physically on the mother or caretaker, so that if that mother or caretaker abandons the child, the child will die in a pretty short period of time. Before, in, a, in a short time, the child will die. So there's a physical dependence. So therefore, one could say in that case, even though the child is born, the mother, father, whoever is taking care of the child has a right to kill the child because dependence establishes the right to kill the dependent being. Now, um, that's not a very attractive argument. So obviously, people who, who think that abortion generally, not in special cases where there's risk, serious risk, medical risk to the mother's health, but general cases, which are the overwhelming majority of them, that abortion is a special case because the child is still inside the mother physically. So someone would have to show why this fact of being inside the mother somehow deprives the person inside the womb of all rights. Somehow the fact of being inside, because we know that, I mean, for example, let's say a baby is born 
and the baby or the young child obviously is not developed physically or mentally. That you know, very young child is many, many years away from full mental and physical development. And yet, because that child is in a process of development, the law, federal law, even about abortion, and especially law about the child that's born, considers that we have to look at the biological direction, that that is a person that simply hasn't developed all of its powers yet. And therefore, uh, it still has to be counted as a person. Uh, for example, here's another quote, upon fertilization, a human individual is created with a unique genetic identity that remains unchanged throughout his or her life. So genetically, you are a complete person uh, at conception. You are genetically complete. You are all you are ever going to be in terms of your body. Uh, so anyway, the other thing, let, let me get back to my, to my main argument here. So let, let's say by analogy, let's give an analogy that um, you are, let's say, in your house and your home, your home is your castle. You're in your house and someone comes to visit you. Now, let's say that person, God forbid, suffers something like, let's say, a stroke, and you are unable to contact any relatives or intimate friends of that person, so that, and, and that person has become completely disabled. They cannot feed themselves. Let's say that person even really can't breathe on their own but you have to have some equipment in your house so you keep the person breathing. Or maybe you actually do resuscitation, you're breathing into that person's mouth. My point is at that point, that person absolutely depends on you. That person cannot survive even, let's say several seconds without your help. Does that give you the right to kill the person? Now you could say that's not the same as being within someone's body. Well, go back to our metaphysical assumption that as a physical being, you have no rights. And actually more and more philosophers and scientists are realizing that consciousness is not just a physical part of the body. So, um, so if you're a metaphysical being, if you're not a metaphysical being, you have no rights. So why are we even having this discussion? If you think you have any rights at all, you are claiming to be logically, philosophically, a metaphysical being. And therefore you are living inside your body. So you could say the soul lives in the body, the soul in, lives in the body which lives in a house. And so what kind of philosophical argument are you gonna to give to say that there can only be this many levels of living within uh, to have rights, and if, if there are less levels, you don't have rights. Where is that coming from? I mean, where are these metaphysical assumptions coming from? Is it just someone's imagination? But here we have a case where someone had a stroke. They're living in your body, uh, in your house. They are absolutely dependent on you for their life, even to breathe. Do you have a right to kill them? If not, 
Why not? Uh, I'm not sure there's a good answer to that question. So the general idea that if someone depends on you, you can kill them, whether they depend on your, let's say, medical care, they depend on, a, let's say, taking care of a baby, or, or they physically depend on you or still in your body. Uh, somehow, you could say, what about little baby kangaroos that live in the pouch? They're technically in the mother's body in the pouch, but they're not biologically inside. I mean, how are you going to justify all of these fine distinctions and special rules? What is the general principle? In other words, where is there a self-evident, obviously true, general moral principle, metaphysical principle that somehow under the skin you can kill, outside the skin you can't kill? When you, there's even federal law that you can't even kill the embryo within the mother's body. So I don't think there's any coherent philosophical explanation for these things. And also, let's say, for example, it is your job to demolish a building. You're going to demolish a building. But you hear someone says that, I think there is a child trapped inside that building. And you're not sure. And no one knows. Is, it, is, is the child inside that building or not? And you don't know. So what are you gonna do? Let me just one second. Um, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say, okay, we don't know if the child's in the building or not, so let's destroy the building. Or are you gonna say, until we find out, we're not going to destroy the building? So we have these facts that you are a medical metaphys metaphysical being. Otherwise, you have no rights at all. There's no need to talk about this. It's just like, for example, let's say someone kidnaps another person, slaves another person, and has complete power. Now, as a physical fact, as an empirical fact, the, let's say the kidnapper owns the other person's body. That is a fact you know, has complete control over that other person's body. They can do whatever they want with that body, that living body, that person. That's a physical fact. Now, morally, you can say that is, that the kidnapper has no right, that is disgusting, it is evil. And let's say that's all true. But what you're saying, if you say that the kidnapper or the slaveholder has no right to do that. You are saying the physical fact doesn't matter. The metaphysical fact matters. That the physical fact is not what should be. What should be is the, not the physical fact, the metaphysical fact that everyone has a right to live free of slavery or that no one has a right to kidnap anyone. You're claiming that the physical fact doesn't matter. So when it comes to abortion, and you say that, the, the, let's say someone says that the embryo is inside the mother's body, that's a physical fact. We all know that. Why in that case is the physical fact enough to determine the metaphysical fact? In the real world, 
let's say someone kidnaps someone else and, and actually is controlling their body. We say that doesn't matter. That is a crime. It is abuse. And you cannot derive a moral principle from the physical fact. In other words, you can't say because of the physical fact that this person has enslaved that person's body. Therefore, the moral principle follows that the person has a right to enslave them. The metaphysical moral principle doesn't come out of the physical fact. It is the moral metaphysical principle which must govern the physical fact. Therefore, the fact that a baby is living in the mother's body, that's a physical fact, but it does not determine the metaphysical fact. The metaphysical moral principle governs what should be done physically, which in this case, in my view, is that you have no right to murder another soul's body. So generally these abortion debates are not the most philosophical things you'll ever stumble across in your life. Um, so if you say that, let's say anyone owns their body, if you say, well, not only a woman, not only a pregnant woman, but because it couldn't just be pregnant women, we'd have to say that everyone is the proprietor of their own body. Now, if you want to argue that, then that has to be a specific application of a broader metaphysical claim or philosophical principle, namely, under what conditions under what circumstances are we justified in saying that this person owns that property? Whether the property is a living body, someone else's living body inside your body, a house, a car, a bank account, a country. For example, the idea that the people own their country, which is an interesting idea. But anyway, what is the general principle? Because you have to have a general principle which you can then apply to a specific case. For example, let's say John steals a lamp from Mary's house. The law is not that John cannot steal a lamp from Mary's house. That's much too specific. The law doesn't mention John, it doesn't mention Mary, and it doesn't mention the lamp. The law says you cannot go into someone else's house against their will, and against their will, take property out of their house. Now, the law says a person cannot, okay, John's a person, can't go into someone else's property, okay, Mary's house, fits under the general heading of someone's property or someone's house, and you can't take something. Okay, a lamp is something. So what we're doing when we make laws is, we have, what we're doing is we take a general principle, and then if it applies, if it fits a specific case, then that case comes under the power of that law. This is very simple stuff. Therefore, in the case of, let's say a woman or a man or anyone 
saying, I own my body, my body is my property, what is the general principle, legal or philosophical, that determines when somebody owns something? And does it apply in this case? Now, I'll give you an example of one philosophy that was very popular for a while, everyone's heard of it, which would argue against a woman owning her body. Actually, it's, it's a contradiction within that philosophy, but I'll get to that at the end. And the, and the philosophy I'm talking about is Marxism. Good old Karl Marx. So Marx, among other things, is arguing that the people that produce something have a right to enjoy the fruit of their production. So that if you, he was of course talking just as the industrial revolution was exploding, you had terrible conditions for factory workers and other people like coal miners. I mean, just really bad conditions. He, he was, I mean, it was very correct to protest that. He just came to some really bad conclusions that resulted in the deaths of uh, tens of millions of innocent people in the 20th century. But anyway, if you look at Marx's basic point, that the people who produce something like the workers in a factory have a right to enjoy uh, commensurately, fairly, the fruits of their own work, their own production. Now, simple question, did you build your own body? That's a no brainer. No, you didn't. Your parents actually created your body. So therefore, you can see the logic of some ancient societies in the Middle East and Scandinavia, even you could say perhaps in the Roman Empire, you can see that, that, that their logic, I mean, we don't agree with it, but you can see what they're thinking. Hey, your mother and father created your body, therefore they own your body. That's just sort of a little twist on Marxism, right? Your parents created your body, they built, you know, they created, they built your body, they created it genetically, therefore they own it. Therefore they can kill you if they want. Therefore you are, you know, in a sense, a slave of your parents because they built you, your body. Now, there's a problem here. I mean, there's of course lots of problems, but here's one problem. Your parents didn't build their bodies. And since it's your mother, your mother's body and your father's body that made your body, but your parents didn't own their bodies. Their parents made their bodies, but their parents also didn't make their own bodies. And so what you have here is in, in Marxism, at least you know, taking it in this sense, you have an infinite regress of false claims of proprietorship. An infinite regress of false claims of proprietorship. So the one person who, if that person you know is there, could make a legitimate claim to owning bodies is of course God. If you don't believe in, if you say there is no God, okay, let's go with that. There is no God, that means no one owns the body or uh, you can only, that language that, let's say, A owns, this person owns this body. The only real meaning that could have, 
not just someone's imagination, but the, the only truly objective meaning that could have is that someone physically has power over someone else's body or psychologically. I mean, you can, you know, the idea that you so intimidate someone or you know, by the threat of punishment or whatever, but someone who by whatever means actually has control over someone else's body, the body belongs to that person. If you have control of your own body, you can fight off everybody else that wants to get at your body, then you own your body. Because you see, if there's no God and there's no soul, then all these high, all these lofty metaphysical ideas like I own my body, they're just blah, blah, blah. It doesn't mean anything. You're just saying something. So if you say I own my body and someone else has physical control of your body, actually, from the empirical point of view, not moral, we're not talking morality, we're not talking metaphysics, we're just talking empirical science. You can blah, blah, blah all you want, but that person actually, at this point in time, controls your body, whatever you may say. I don't think that's the kind of world we want to live in. And if you take Marx seriously, the people that produce something have a right to enjoy the fruit of their production. In that, on those grounds, you belong to your parents who belong to their parents. We fall into this infinite regress of false claims of proprietorship over bodies. So uh, that's a little philosophy there. Uh, you know, a little philosophy never hurt anybody. So uh, moving on here, uh, perhaps the last thing I'll say, I, I've made a lot of philosophical points here, or tried to. Um, other limitations on your body. If you, if you do something, let's say you, anything, like you sneeze, or you walk down the street, or you eat an apple, whatever. If you do something with your body, because in this world we do things with our bodies, and even you could talk about mental activities, which have some neurological dependence. I'm not saying that your brain creates consciousness, but, your con but it, it conducts it. So at this point, uh, you know, you, most people need a brain to, to think clearly. So, um, so d to what extent do you really uh, have a right to do, to control your own body? Uh, if you do something that actually doesn't affect other people in any significant way, no one really cares. But let's say, for example, uh, you have a right to control your own body, and right now you want to sing. You, you, you're, you, know, you feel like singing. And let's say uh, you are in an apartment building with very thin walls because it was cheaply built, and uh, there's a rule in that apartment that you cannot disturb your neighbors between certain hours, and you start doing your opera thing, and uh, you know, they come and stop you. They come and stop you because you can't do that. I mean, I've given you can give so many examples. I've already talked about that legally. So therefore, uh, one can say that uh, you know, abortion does abortion affect other people. The simple point is that you only have a right to do whatever you want with your body as long as it doesn't significantly impact other people. If it does, they have a legitimate interest through society 
to regulate what you do with your body, that's called civilization. And the idea that everyone can do whatever they want with their body, that's called savagery. That's called the law of the jungle. So if you're kind of into civilization over the law of the jungle, in other words, you don't think that you can just walk down the street and anyone that likes, you know, can just rape you, uh, mutilate you, uh, kidnap you, just, you know, whoever has the power to do it can do it. If that's not the kind of world you really want to live in because you're not an incredible masochist, then you're probably going to vote for civilization over savagery. If you vote for civilization over savagery, that simply means that you can only do what you want with your body as long as it does not significantly impact other people. And uh, so the question is, since you're not a physical being, if you're a physical being, you have no rights anyway, no need to talk about it. If you're a metaphysical being, then the, the, the life in the womb is equally a metaphysical being. You're not the only metaphysical being. And so therefore, do you have a right to cruelly, or let's take out that word, do you have a right to brutalize, because that's what it is, it's brutality, in an objective, non-judgmental sense, it's just objectively brutality. Do you have a, a right to brutally destroy the growing, developing, genetically complete body of another metaphysical entity? Uh, that's not as easy a question to answer as some people think, because they don't ask the right question. People think the answer is easy is because they don't know what the actual question is. So anyway, um, those are some of the points. The last point I'll make maybe very quickly is that uh, abortion should be legal because in the past, uh, women suffered and even died because of illegal abortions. Uh, we don't want anyone you know, dying in that way. However, Here's the simple fact of life. It may sound a little harsh, but in fact, it's true. And that is, uh, in general, crime is dangerous. If you break into people's homes to rob them, there's a serious possibility you will get yourself shot and you know, killed. That's a serious possibility. That's why generally house break-ins don't happen during the day when all the neighbors are out having a party on the street. You know, that's why it's done at night. So if you decide that that's kind of your natural vocation, you wanna break into other people's houses and steal from them, then your life expectancy will go down a bit. You know, because the average lifespan of uh, people that do that is, is lower than people that don't do it. So crime is dangerous. So if a society feels it is justified to criminalize the murder of an innocent child in the womb, the argument that if you criminalize, again, let's go to the general philosophical principle here. Let's go to the general philosophical principle that, um, the argument is, in general terms, that if society criminalizes certain behavior, and as a result of that, people who act in that criminal way, according to the laws of that society, people who perform that criminal act 
sometimes suffer consequences. Therefore, we should decriminalize the act. The act should not be a crime. For example, you could say when people try to commit rape, sometimes they end up getting themselves killed or uh, you know, a woman may have a gun, which would be kind of like a, a nice thing. You know, women could just shoot the people who are trying, I would vote for that, you know, shoot the rapist. But anyway, that's another topic. So let's say someone is trying to rape a woman or, or, or do something bad and they get themselves injured or killed in the act of doing that, which happens. Therefore is the conclusion we need to decriminalize rape. So this, I mean, obviously not. But what this shows is that the fact that society declares a certain act to be a crime, someone engages in that act and gets themselves in some kind of harm does not automatically mean you should decriminalize the act. That's the point. So the argument that we should legalize abortion because, uh, you know, because some women, and by the way, I looked it up, it was actually a very, very small number of women, not what you might think, but I'll get to that proportionally. We don't want any woman being, you know, fatally injured in any kind of medical procedure, whether it's a legal or an illegal abortion. However, the mere fact that someone commits a crime and has ends up dying does not by itself show the act should be decriminalized. You would have to show that the so-called crime, in this case abortion, is such a trivial harm to society. It is such an insignificant violation of society's principles that the death of certain people outweighs, is, 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 is more serious than the relatively insignificant, trivial effects of the crime. Now, if you say that murdering systematically millions of innocent uh, people in the womb of the mother is a trivial, insignificant evil, and therefore it should be decriminalized to say that the mother is performing that act illegally, uh, is that really true though? That seems, that seems to me, that's like begging the, you're, you're avoiding the whole discussion. I'm not sure that you can show that murdering uh, millions of innocent creatures who feel pain, by the way, who are genetically complete, who if just not bothered in that way, will become persons like us and to murder millions of them is such a trivial harm that, for example, in 1965, uh, under less than 200 deaths to women were attributed to illegal abortion. Less than 200. That's 200 out of, they say, perhaps 900,000 illegal abortions. So that means when abortions were illegal, the number of women who, who died, which we regret, in illegal abortions was one, one, in four and a half thousand. So in order to prevent the death of one person in four hundred and four and a half thousand, and a person committing a crime, according to the standards of that society, to prevent one in four and a half thousand people committing that crime, 
from dying, uh, we should legalize abortion. And the result being that uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions more babies were killed. If you look at, for example, let's say breaking into homes, the number of housebreakers, number of criminals that do that and get themselves killed is actually more than one in four and a half thousand. So on that logic, you could, we should decriminalize breaking into someone's house. In any case, what I'm trying to show is that if someone wants to make an argument for legal abortion, uh, try to make a good one. Anyway, those are the, uh, the basic points that I wanted to make at this time. Uh, there are some questions which have been sent to me on Facebook. One is, is situational ethics compatible with Vaishnav philosophy in this regard, in case of rape, minor abuse, et cetera? It's a very interesting question, just so we, I can get a good, let's see if I can get a quick definition for you of situational ethics. Situational or situation ethics takes into account the particular context of an act when evaluating it ethically rather than judging it according to absolute moral standards. Yeah, I think we should consider the situation. Uh, let's say for if there is going to be significant harm to the mother, significant harm, uh, which I wouldn't include like, I'd rather spend my money on other things, not raising a child. But if there's going to be significant harm to the mother, physically or, or mentally, and that can be shown to be a, a medical probability, then I think, yeah, that's the special case I was talking about. So actually, someone wrote me a letter. Let me see if that's related to this class. Uh, oh, I can't read it right now. Anyway. Okay, that's not specific for this class. Okay, so thank you all very much. Again, uh, oh, the last point, because you may say something like, well, what does the Bhagavatam say? And then there's another question. First, I'll say what the Bhagavatam says. Uh, in verse, uh, I think it's 9931, actually. Uh, I'll read you the Sanskrit. It is 9931. Tasya Brahmavadinaha, Katang Vadham Manyate Sanmato Bhavan. In this verse, uh, abortion, which in Sanskrit is called uh, Brunasya Vadham. Uh, Bruna in Sanskrit, the word Bruna means embryo. And Vadham means killing, killing of the embryo. It's also called uh, uh, Bruna Hatya, which also means killing the embryo. And in the Bhagavatam 9931, it is compared to, it said, it is like, yatha, it is like uh, killing a saintly Brahmin or a cow. So killing the embryo in the womb in the Bhagavatam is compared to killing a saintly Brahmin or a cow. So I'll, you know, I won't insult your intelligence by trying to explain that to you. Uh, okay. Um, oh, actually someone said, you said a little philosophy never hurt anybody. What about Marxism, Nazism, hedonism, fascism, national socialism, it's the Nazis, secular humanism, etc. <laughs> Good point. Yes, actually, okay, I will try to escape this by saying a little very bad philosophy 
can do a lot of harm. But a little reasonable philosophy, I would say, doesn't. And I have to admit, I consider myself reasonable. <laughs> you may not agree, but anyway, we all have our prejudices. So there's one more question. Some argue that if abortion is just criminalized, but without proper spiritual education, uh, they do it, they will do the same number, but underground uh, anyway, uh, with more corrupt principles. So just criminalizing it may not be the solution. That's actually a good point. That um, that that uh, especially in a democratic society, especially in a democratic society, uh, it's you can't really you say you can't successfully just criminalize an activity which huge numbers of people will do anyway. And so I would say, as a legal historical principle. It's true. Uh, if, if you get a significant, let, let's say you get enough people, which would have to be, I, I would say, a, you know, a strong majority. If you get enough people in a democratic society, obviously in other forms of government, there are other dynamics going on. But in a democratic society, uh, if you don't have a, let's say, a sufficient number of people that believe in the law, the society itself will basically uh, subvert and neutralize the law, make the law, render the law ineffective. So yeah, I think that that's a valid point. Uh, is there anything else here? There's a little thing here I was reading from. Uh, there is medical, there are uh, serious medical studies done in respectable medical journals showing that there are significant, uh, there are significant um, psychological harm caused to mothers who have abortions. Uh, for example, uh, for one thing, even physically, that the more women have abortions, the more they are likely, uh, what was this thing? Um, sorry, bring the wrong thing. Um, I want to, because I do want to, Okay, here's abortions cause psychological damage, a peer-reviewed, I will keep reading peer-reviewed. These are all respected medical journals in Scandinavia. Young adult women who undergo abortion may be at increased risk for subsequent depression. Another serious article, uh, it leads to higher, significantly higher rates of anxiety in women. Women have abortion. Uh, women who have abortions are 154% more likely. That's like a lot. 154% more likely to commit suicide than women that did not have abortions. Uh, so uh, here's another British Medical Journal report. Women who had abortions were three times, three times more likely uh, to commit suicide. Three times more likely to commit suicide. Uh, okay, uh, there's another thing that, um, so there, there, there are medical things, that there, there are emotional problems, um, blah, 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 so there's all this stuff. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll stop. Okay, future medical problems. International Journal of Epidemiology, that 15% uh, of first 
trimester miscarriages. In other words, they divide the time it takes the mother carries the baby into three. So the trimester is the first third of that time, approximately three months. So 15% of first trimester miscarriages, in other words, a mother loses her child to a miscarriage in the first trimester, 15% of the cases is attributed to a previously induced abortion. A Chinese study published in another peer-reviewed journal found an association between breast cancer and a history of abortions. In other words, the more abortions a woman has, the more likely she is to get breast cancer. So you can say that, you know, women, you know, not giving women free access to abortions can lead to certain emotional or physical problems. Well, if they have the abortion, uh, they're three times more likely to kill themselves. Uh, they're more likely to get breast cancer. So it's, you know, there's a whole bunch of facts that, that we need to put on the table. But as I said, in answer to the question, uh, I'm not talking about, you can't force it on a democratic society. Uh, Chutnanda said, I believe abortion should be accessible with very strict criteria for qualification, but there's been a major push to prevent unwanted pregnancies, likely via education. Yeah, that's, I think, you know, reason within, I think, the basic, the boundaries that I'm, I'm putting forth. So if there are no other questions, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, I actually don't take your participation for granted. I mean, the fact that you take your valuable time to listen, I do appreciate it sincerely. And um, hope to see you again soon. Actually, I hope you see me again. That sounds very narcissistic, but I can't actually see you. So I hope you will participate <laughs> again soon in these programs. So Hare Krishna.